0: Welcome to episode number 94 of the Marine Layer Podcast. We welcome on Mariner's reliever, Justin Topa, a conversation about his journey to the big leagues going viral on on the internet and his card collection. That was pretty cool as well.
1: Before we start the show, here's your reminder that if you're listening to the podcast, make sure to download, leave us a five-star review and follow the show wherever you get your audio podcasts, those reviews and downloads. They help us out a ton. So if you just take a couple extra seconds to do it, you're, giving us a, you're doing us a big favor. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, where the full video podcast is, and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at MarineLayerPod.
0: Let's get it rolling. And I mean, welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Monday, January 15th. And I just gotta say, I'm ready for baseball, and more importantly, baseball weather. Because as I am sitting here right now, in my bedroom here in Oregon, I look outside, Lyle, and I see a sheet of ice two inches thick covering, well, everything outside. And I'm looking, I'm like, you know, I can't play baseball in this, first of all. Second of all, I can't do anything either. You know, I'm really looking forward to once this episode's done, I actually have to go walk down a hill to, to go scout some stuff out. Like, that's the point we're at, where I have to worry about slipping and falling. And I got to say, I'm sick of it, and I, I want the warm weather back.
1: So are you going to slide down your driveway? That's what I was asking you pre-recording.
0: I might, I might have to. My driveway is... Uh, it's the, the parking lot for our apartments about five feet off the road. And there's this little sloped driveway, which is covered in ice. It is covered in a sheet of ice about two inches thick. And well, I certainly don't want to send my car down that. So you're right. I think I should, <laughs> I should, I should do that myself and, and I'll have to report back. You know, I always say snow is great in theory, and then it sits on the ground and that sucks and everyone across the country is dealing with this unless you live in Florida or Arizona you don't really have to deal with this but everywhere else it seems like is getting absolutely blasted so thankfully this is not a not a niche complaint i have here today
1: what's the actual temperature in corvallis
0: right now it's like 25 degrees which it's it's just like annoying it's cold it's not super cold but cold enough to keep everything frozen and you know one day is fine and then it gets into like 2 and 3 and as we talk about with Justin Topa and yourselves sharing an affinity for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, well, that's about all I have left here to eat <laughs> is peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because I'm I'm out of most of my other food. It's uh, it's it's tough out here.
1: Sounds like you have all you need right there. I'm going to be honest. I, I
0: I have multiple days worth of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and to be honest, I don't think I get sick of it. But Dog, me and you are both somewhat healthy people. So I'd, I'd like a little bit of a balance besides only eating peanut butter.
1: All right. Fair enough. I did see it was getting pretty cold in Seattle this these past few days too. Like it was in the high teens, low 20s, same thing. I mean, yeah. did they have snow? I think they had a little bit. Not a Maybe ton. a little I bit. Was, I think it was just cold. I will say 25 degrees does sound chilly. I will say here in Manhattan, New York on... Wednesday, there's a low of 16 degrees. So if it's cold in Corvallis, it may actually be colder here.
0: Big difference between the big city and where I'm at right now. The Pacific Northwest, as many of our listeners already know, is shit when it comes to clearing roads and making things drivable. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to the Midwest or the East Coast, as soon as it starts snowing, we have the snow plows out, people are salting the streets, and it is clear and good to go by the time the morning rolls around. Do you know how many people have come and treated the street in front of my house or my apartment? None, zero. zero. I, yeah. I don't think any of the roads around here, outside of the interstates, have been treated at all. It's just, it's just ice. So we just have to sit here in this, in this frozen tundra. I'm essentially in an igloo right now. Is what in theory because everything's frozen outside, and I get to wait for it all to melt on Wednesday. It's, it's, it's fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, the Pacific Northwest basically says we don't get enough snow or ice every year to put the funds into this stuff which makes sense i mean it usually is only a couple of days a year compared to a lot of other places where it gets really cold and you need street sweepers and and people to you know pave off the road or yeah just clear off the roads and all that stuff but yeah in the pacific northwest it's basically like the couple of days a year it happens you kind of just have to deal with it don't you So you're in the middle of it right now.
0: So if I have a concussion on Friday's show, you'll know it's because in my journey to go get some salt to melt some of this stuff, I fell and hit my head. So watch out for that.
1: Yeah. Welcome to this solo episode here on Friday of the Marine Layer Podcast. TJ is sitting in the ER. We wish him well anyway. uh, The Mariners. So, (laughs) yeah, Uh, let's hope not. Yeah. Speaking of the Mariners, by the way. No major league moves if we're going to segue into this, but they did have some exciting news here in the last couple days because they just signed their newest international class.
0: We talked a little bit about DeWell Joseph, who ranks from MLB Pipeline as their number seven international prospect. He gets the Byron Buxton comp, super athletic, uh, is a shortstop now but can move out to the outfield. We did talk a little bit more about him in our mailbag episode. Uh, last week, last week was the mailbag episode.
1: Yeah, I want to say two, two, weeks, two ago. weeks ago now, maybe a week and a half ago. But
0: yeah, what in our ways- mailbag episode, we did ask front of the pod Joe Doyle for a little bit of a scoop on on DeWell Joseph. So if you want to hear that, you can go back to our mailbag episode and learn a little bit more about DeWell Joseph. If you really want to learn a lot more, Joe's podcast, The Overslot, he did an episode where he just talked about Mariner's signees and who they're expecting to sign in the cycle and he has a lot more detail there. So go check out our friend Joe Doyle for more of that. But it's official as of today on the 15th.
1: People should be excited. Look, he is not as highly touted as Felonine Celestin when they signed him last year. That was like the guy for the Mariners that they signed. Like again, Julio was ranked 10th when they signed him. Noelby Marte was ranked 10th. Lazaro Montes, I believe, was 7th. So obviously these these rankings can kind of they are not always indicative of who the best player is going to be in each international class, but obviously the Mariners have had guys in the tens range become stars like Julio. But when you get, when you sign really, really highly touted international players, it's easy to be excited. And Celestin was the pinnacle of that last year, but Dewell Joseph, look, he's a shortstop, but he's a dude that's so athletic that even if he outgrows the position or they just decide maybe he's not a true infielder, he can play center field if they have to. Insanely good speed He's got power. His bat speed's getting better. Like, there's a ton of tools in this guy, in this guy's belt that say he could be a really good player. And look, we're projecting. We haven't seen him play live. He is 16 years old. It's going to be a while before he gets stateside. But there's reason to be excited about the guy. There's reason to think he could really, really have a future in the organization if everything pans out.
0: The other top 50 guy they signed was Leandro Romero. He's number 48 on Pipeline's top 50. He's also a shortstop, uh, high upside, as the notes say, but uh, he has a lot of errors when he when he's there. Again, not a guy we're all that familiar with, but two top 50 guys officially have signed with the Mariners uh, as of today. So the farm system, we talk about the youth of the farm system. I mean, it just continues to get younger, and at the lower levels especially – and that's where the strength of the system is. Maybe by the end of the season this year, it will be stronger towards the top. But with more international signings, we're talking about from A-plus ball down, from Everett down, that's where the strength is, and it continues to be fortified at every level.
1: And how about the shortstops? How about the shortstops in this system, especially at the younger levels? Like, you can go as far down now as Dewell Joseph in terms of age range, being 16 years old. You take a step up. There's Felaine Selliston. You take another step up there's the three first rounders, uh, Cole Emerson, Ty Pete, or I should say Permello is an outfielder. So Pete and Emerson and Cole Young. Like it just keeps going and going and going. There is infielders galore early on in this mi- in this Mariners minor league system and there's reason to be excited about it cuz it's a bunch of good athletes, really high upside and guys that a lot of people should be excited about.
0: Mhm. Certainly very exciting and um yeah, I'm I'm hyped for these guys, but I wouldn't expect too much. Too much notable stuff from Dewell Joseph for two years. At yeah. that, I mean, he's got he's got a while to go. He's got some he's got some stuff to work out. But hopefully, by the time he's eighteen, he's stateside, and you can go down to Modesto and watch him.
1: Let's hope it's let's hope it's exactly that. I don't know. Would he be in spring training this year? Probably not. Right?
0: No, he'd probably well, be at the Dominican Academy.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking because Celestin was last year a little bit. I think. Was he? So, I thought
0: he was at the academy.
1: He was there in spring training for a little bit. So maybe, maybe they'll get a glimpse of Dewell Joseph and bring him up to Arizona for at least a period of time. But again, it'll be nothing more than probably a lot of instructional work. Maybe he'll play in a little bit of the backfield games if they feel like he's ready for it. But yeah, he's a while away. It's just when he gets to when when the time gets here, there's reason to be excited. So Dewell Joseph, number seven prospect, Leandro Romero, number forty-eight prospect. Two of the big names that the Mariners signed in this international class, they signed eight total guys, but Dewell Joseph, that's the highlight. So that's the Mariners news here on this Wednesday episode, recording here on Monday. International class is here. Guys will be excited about. Certainly follow them as they go along. We know TJ and I will be. You all should certainly do so as well. Let's pause for a second and hear a quick word from our friends over at Pagachas Pub 85. That's Pagachas Pub 85 in Kirkland. Where do we like to go hang out, to go watch some games, hang out with our friends, have some good drinks? Over there. There's 22 TVs in the place with the NFL playoffs going on, there's basketball, there's hockey, college sports, certainly college hoops. You want to go watch some games? Head over there. Head over there. It's a really fun spot. It's a pool table in the place, darts in the place. You can go hang out with your friends and you can go watch some games. It's really laid back and, and we certainly always love to go hang out. And if you go during happy hour, you can get some really great deals. Happy hour is Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m., which include $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, $4 Housewines. Get all that, some great pizza, and a good time with your friends over at Pagatch's Pub 85 in Kirkland. So we had Justin Topo on today. That was pretty fun.
0: That was pretty fun. I was happy to meet him for the first time. You had gotten to meet him. you gotten to talk to him in person at the field. During the season, I of course was down here in the lovely state of Oregon, unable to talk to Justin. It was great getting to meet him for the first time and man, what a genuine guy. Seriously, like what a what a genuine guy and the epitome of hard work it takes to get to the major leagues. I mean, we're talking about someone who didn't break into major league baseball until he was nearly thirty or thirty. Like that's insane to have to wait that long after getting drafted out of college to get to the big leagues that's perseverance right there and for a stop in indy ball then through the rangers brewers and now the mariners here at the big league level just awesome to see and uh, even better dude so we're, we're happy he took some time for us
1: he was awesome little side note little inside scoop we got off air i'm sure he will not care if we share uh justin topa runner up in the seattle mariners fantasy football league to josh rojas who won the league he said he, justin said yeah i was a little bummed but I would be, too, if I finished runner-up in a fantasy football league. So in case any of you are curious, we don't know all 12 guys that were playing in the league, but it sounds like those two were in the championship, and Rojas gets bragging rights for the next year. So Justin Topa, awesome guy, big football fan, but we enjoyed all the, all the time that he took. We really enjoy all the time that we got to take to talk with him and hear his story.
0: So with that, let's not delay any longer. Let's get to our interview with Justin Topa.
1: All right, we've got Mariners reliever, Justin Topo. All right, Justin, I'm going to let you pick how you want to start this interview. Do you want to do Babe Ruth talk now or later? I
2: saw that from Sauce. We can do it now. We can go right into it.
1: So real or not real?
2: It's it's tough for me because I know that I saw the clips from Sauce. You see the one clip of of Babe Ruth just all the time. Mm -hmm. I would like to believe that he's real. I think that I'm more on the side of the Ted Williams home run is not real. hundred percent, not real just from being at that red seat there at Fenway. Um, I'm going to go basically Yes. Real. Even though we don't have a ton of documentation.
1: <laughs> is this like a consensus in the bullpen or is this sauce just, stir- just like stirring stuff up with everybody?
2: No, I think uh, there's a lot of people that believe that he's not real. I, I think it's more so it's like, like, we mentioned there's only like one or two videos that you just see on repeat. Um, And then just the fact that like he was literally just swinging like a tree from out back that he cut into a, into a a bat. You know, (laughs) you you hear the stories and all that you, you uh, you start to question a lot of things.
0: Justin, could you imagine playing on the diet he had? Like what would your stomach feel like like? Yeah, I'd be in shambles.
2: You know, like hot dogs <laughs> and beer, and and uh, I'm sure that there was some cigarettes involved in there. <laughs> I couldn't even <laughs> imagine, you know, grabbing a hot dog between uh, between innings or something like that.
1: <laughs> is there one guy in the bullpen that just tries to say like, "Oh, you guys are morons. This is just this is ridiculous. The stuff you guys are trying to cook up." Or is everybody pretty open minded and says, "Oh, I can listen to an argument on this."
2: No, everybody's open open minded. We uh, have, you know. I was talking with Buddy the other day. It's like we have a lot of time in the bullpen. You know, the first couple of games, we just feel it out, especially with, with our starters. It's been kind of, it's kind of nice last year. You know, you didn't have to get moving too early. But uh, so, yeah, you you look down in the bullpen, you, you kind of see the hijinks going on early in the game. But, yeah, now everybody's uh, open-minded and, um, you know, for the most part are, are ready for, for an argument one side or the other.
0: You mentioned the Ted Williams thing. So what was your reaction then when you guys walked out to that seat?
2: Yeah. It's just immediately no chance. And then I, so the funny thing was when we were in Fenway, um, I forget who, who walked up there with me. It was, I know for sure it was me, uh, Adam Banero, one of our staff guys, uh, Justin Novak, bullpen catcher. And I'm trying to think if, I think sauce might've been there. And I can't remember if there was a fourth or not or a fifth or not, but, um, yeah, we get up there and there happened to be like, uh, you know, the staff member for Fenway park doing like a, a little like tour talking about like, oh, this is the Ted Williams seat and the story, I don't know if you guys have heard like the actual story about like how, you know, they know it was that seat. It was like some guy like fell asleep in between games of a doubleheader and then woke up the second game by getting hit by a home run by Ted Williams and that supposedly was where the guy was sitting. And yeah, you like look at it from the seat and you're like, there's zero chance anybody's getting a ball out here. Especially I know that uh, years ago at a I think Sauce mentioned it, too. Like, Big Poppy tried to do it with, like, a metal bat in batting practice. Like, the perfect, you know, the perfect scenario to try and do it. All things, like, lined up, and he still couldn't do it. So it's like, I don't believe that.
0: So he woke up to the ball hitting him, so he didn't actually see the ball connect with the bat, fly through the air, and hit him.
2: Supposedly, that's the the story. I guess, obviously, people were sitting around and saw the ball, Supposedly get there. Hmm. But, um, but, yeah, that's, that was the story that the, the person running the tour had, uh, had said. So, uh, you take it with a grain of salt, I guess.
1: <laughs> huh? I haven't heard the story before, but I mean, I know that Ted Williams C exists and the, the legend is he hit it all the way out there, but I hadn't heard the story of some guy was asleep and then it hit him. And then you basically just have to take their word for it. So honestly, yeah. and, like when Sauce talked about this at first. I said, maybe I could listen on the Babe Ruth thing. I'm flipping I'm flipping! all of a sudden. like Now that you're telling us this Ted Williams story, I think the Ted Williams thing is less believable all of a sudden.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like you said, if if that's the actual story, that this guy just woke up to being hit by a ball in right field at uh, Fenway, it's like uh, uh, there's a lot of factors that could have been involved. Somebody could have threw the ball. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who knows?
0: Did you guys run that past the Red Sox bullpen too? Is this something they've already discussed? Because those bullpens at Fenway are right next to each other. It's easy conversation.
2: We did not. We should, though. We should. Maybe, maybe this next year when we're when we're up there, we'll see what they have, their take is on it. Because I'm sure they've heard the story. Obviously, they do tours of every day there, so I would assume that somebody's uh, caught wind of, of that story, and um, you know, they definitely had a uh, conversation
1: about it. Here's a decent segue to something you're pretty passionate about. If you were to stumble upon a Babe Ruth <laughs> trading card, are you keeping it, or if you're actually on the belief of well He didn't really exist. Do you say to yourself, well, anybody can have it. It, You know, he's not a real baseball player.
2: Uh, No, I mean, I guess it would be, you know, what card it would be, I guess. Uh, you know, There's a lot of valuable ones. So I think from the monetary standpoint, I would keep it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I, I think that, uh, even, you know, real or fake, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the, the one of the newer cards that has come out recently, the Tom Brady, um, in the new Bowman set there's like a Tom Brady what if uh if he if he actually signed with the Expos and everybody's like talking about, you know, it's I think it ended up selling for almost 180 grand or 170 grand at auction recently. And uh somebody found that original photo and it's not even Tom Brady. It's just like his face photoshopped over somebody. So like there that is kind of the example, I guess, right? Like you see, you know, a fictitious uh player, granted Tom Brady's a real person, but fictitious uh you know sin, uh sequence of him planning for the expo so i guess kind of uh give or take on either side
0: if you guys want to go check out justin's card collection you are starting to document them a little bit on your instagram page at the topa collection so yep. off of that i just want to start where did your card collecting start
2: uh pretty early on um my dad was a big collector uh, growing up. Um, he had a bunch of older cards. And when I was younger, we had, had a double A team in my hometown. The thing with Mets used, used to be the thing with Mets. Now it's the thing with the Rumble ponies. Um, so, yeah, so growing up, going to games there, um, you know, like I said, just opening packs of cards on Christmas, uh, you know, randomly going to the store, grabbing a couple of packs, opening them up with my dad. That kind of transitioned to you know going to my games, I was that kid that was down the down the lines trying to get autographs from everybody, you know baseball photos, whatever it might be um, so that's kind of where the the collection started um, I, I got the opportunity to be a bad boy for for the double Mets when I was in middle school slash high school, so got to you know see a lot of those guys get some some cool memorabilia from them and it's kind of transitioned to now I, I Select a lot more, but I'm more like specific to what I'm I'm looking for. Um, back then, it was kind of like I'll get anybody to sign sign a card or, or, or baseball or anything like that. So now I've been a little more picky um, with, uh, with what we add. But yeah, it's it's cool. It's it's something that, like I said, the connection with me and my dad like going to a bunch of games um, growing up, and uh, you know. Just kind of building stuff over the years. Just I'm in my basement now, so there's a bunch of stuff like hanging on the walls. Some some stuff that I've had for, you know, when I was a teenager to uh, you know stuff that I recently just got.
0: So are you now specifically going after? Are you like eBay shop, shopping cards? Going after specific cards that you think are going to have some better value in the future, or are you still in the hey let's buy a let's buy sixty packs and rip them all?
2: Uh-
0: I'm more on the buying eBay side, you My wife as all as <laughs> that, <time>. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm
2: scouring um, pretty pretty often uh, just to see what's out there. And I also try like I I've sold a bunch of stuff, so I'm on there, you know, buying and selling pretty much uh, all the time, trying to upgrade certain stuff, different areas. Um, within the last five years or so, I think that uh, I've kind of shifted shifted my uh, my thought to. Um, to more like vintage stuff and i started collecting signed hall of fame rookies uh from you know it, it initially started out like just you know try to get a bunch of baseball guys now i've gotten to the point um i think that the the ones that i need still are a little too expensive for for uh, my blood right now but um but yeah so it, it kind of blended you know it's a baseball uh, signed hall of fame rookies and now it's kind of branched off into hockey basketball a little bit um Hockey, so that was kind of the next uh, area i was like all right let's shift from baseball into hockey and, and see what we can do there
1: okay when you say there's certain cards you're still shooting for i'm guessing in terms of price range or how rare they are like honus wagner cards basically don't exist there's so few of them out there in the world i'm guessing you're not talking about that level of cards but what what kind like what kind of card would you collect that would be at the top of your bucket list that's within reason um Oh
2: man, that's kinda tough. I would say probably like probably something like Mickey Mantle, Mickey Mantle rookie card, like that's I mean, even like the the perfect PSA ten, PSA even PSA nines go for like a hundred grand plus. So it's like I probably will never buy one of those, but you can get some some pretty uh worse condition, I guess you would say, worse condition um examples for decent prices, but still they're they're relatively expensive. Um I'm trying to think here if there's anything like I've been specifically looking for more so it's just like trying to find guys that, that are realistically in the price range to to add um I've got over like 70 sign 70 different signed hall of fame rookies um from baseball players so my guy growing up was Derek Jeter um so I think that would be my first answer is something Jeter related but I've kind of already checked a lot of those off the list uh which is nice but um Yeah, I think just growing up as a Yankee fan, uh, it was probably anything Yankees. Like, you know, I would never obtain a Babe Ruth rookie or something like that. Like, are just way too, way too expensive. But, um, but yeah, it's been cool for me to like kind of learn through, learn the game through trading cards and sports cards. Um, Like I said, growing up around baseball, around sports learn stuff from my dad. Our favorite one of our favorite movies is Field of Dreams. So there's a, a clip in the beginning of the se- uh the beginning of the movie where they show like the old Cracker Jack uh cards of um you know Shul's Joe Jackson and and different guys throughout that. So like those those would be some cool cards to try and get like those older, you know you know free nineteen thirty uh, you know, Cracker Jack or like T two oh six the Honus Wagner. Um yeah, like you said, there's only about five in existence for that. So I don't think that'll ever come uh, Come into my collection.
0: <laughs> would you want to make it a mission of yours to try and collect the cards of all your teammates so you keep track?
2: I actually thought about that recently. Um it would be pretty extensive because I've kind of bounced around, <laughs> bounce around a lot. Um I have like over the years I've gotten I try to grab some stuff of, of you know, some of my, you know, best friends on team, stuff like that. Um, whether it be like, you know, sign a ball or uh if I something to have a card like do that um to the collection um but yeah maybe like one of these days it's, it's actually funny one of the clubhouse guys in um when i was in milwaukee one of the guys in spring training he he mentioned about uh, council uh, skip was trying to like collect all of the guys that he managed like a card from them and uh so it was pretty cool that kind of got my my uh, wheels turned a little bit a couple years ago didn't really think about it and then uh, recently thought you know that'd kind of be cool you know maybe uh get a box and, and, and fill it up with guys that i played with um you know it, it seems like you play against everybody and then like you play with half those guys It's the way that baseball is you're always uh, intertwined somehow
0: i assume you at least have a julio rookie card i have a couple yeah um
2: see, that's what's cool so the the bullpen catcher in, in um in milwaukee adam he uh he was a big collector. So, like, he, we text all the time um, when I was there, you know, talking about different stuff. And he was like, dude, this is like the perfect scenario. Like, you get to play with somebody and you can kind of see like what they are, you know, you know what I mean? You see how hard they work and stuff like that and like almost use that as like a scouting report for cards. And I don't get in <laughs> depth in it. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't get too, uh, too involved in that. Um, usually, if I'm like buying and selling stuff, it's stuff that I have uh, multiples of and I want to, you know use that money to, to go get something uh like i said i'm more into like vintage stuff now like you know 50s 40s 50s 60s but um but yeah i do i do have a couple julio stuff um stuff i, I started a box a couple years ago of uh just trying to i'm into like rookie cards, so like uh, a couple julio rookie cards and um other guys throughout the league you know bobby witt jr and, and uh, guys like that so
0: Justin, that's almost insider trading you might have the fed show up on your door <laughs> yeah I mean I don't think I've profited off of it uh,
2: so I don't think I ever will but but no it's it, he, he when he brought it up I was like actually it's not a bad idea you kind of turn into your own little scout uh, you got your own little scouting service just trying to, to figure that out but it's cool I mean it's it's something fun that um you know growing up just being around you know sports and then you know trading cards and and kind of seeing now, it's it's cool for me. It's like guys that I collected when I was a kid, now kind of you know running into them um, in the big leagues and, and being like, oh, like, I know that guy, or like a coach or something like that. Like, I'm sure I have made a lot of co- coaches feel old when I'm like, oh yeah, I was your bat boy when you were in a, you know, when you came through Banton. So it's uh, it's cool. It's a cool little connection.
1: Last sports card question I have for you, and if you want to reveal this on your own Instagram page instead, you can tell us. But <laughs> what are your top three? most valuable pieces of memorabilia or card that you own?
2: I get that question a lot and I don't know I would say like valuable wise, like monetarily. Um there's a couple. There's other things that like are just like special to me, um, just because of you know collecting with my dad and stuff like that. So recently I think one of them actually my dad was down here the other day this weekend and um he had a 1953 top satchel page um, in his collection. He got it when he was a kid. Uh, the story is, uh, I think he I think he re- still remembers the story correctly, but he said he traded a couple of football cards for it on the bus um, when he was a kid. And it's been in his collection ever since. I recently just sent it off to get graded. So we got that back. Um, so that like, value-wise and sentimentally uh, is is pretty cool for the collection. Like I mentioned earlier, um, Jeter was kind of my guy growing up. You know, growing up in, in New York, um, in the mid nineties, I thought I was going to be the next Derek Jeter, just like everybody else. But uh, so that was kind of my guy growing up. So a couple of his rookie cards I've picked up over the years, um, a couple signed rookie cards, which is kind of cool. I had the chance to meet him when I was uh in high school. So that those for sure. Um, I'm not think anything like specific specific. I'm like looking around the basement here to see if I can find. <laughs> um, um, I, I don't know like sentimentally I think like you know my like my debut jersey stuff like that um debut jersey with a lineup card um I think that is a culmination that's something that's very priceless to me and in my family so so it's a it's a cool addition to the, to the uh, collection
1: if we were gonna get into some of your pitching stuff now and that's all really cool by the way so I was never I collected sports cards a little bit growing up but I kinda got out of it as I got older. But it's cool, you still have a passion for it. And it's really cool that you've kept it up all these years because yeah, it can turn into a really cool like just culmination of all this memorabilia and, and cards and all this stuff as you especially as you, you know, continue to play ball and all that. So was, so I think that's awesome. If yeah. we are gonna get into some of your pitching stuff here, I wanted to start with basically when you got to the Mariners, like did you know from afar, before you were traded over here, what the reputation had been over the last couple of years about developing relievers and the success they'd had with relievers because you're another one of these guys that's come over and had a bunch of success in Seattle and, and turned into you know one of the top arms in the league this year out of the bullpen.
2: Yeah, a little bit. Obviously you, uh, you kind of watched the entire league from afar. Um, going into, going into camp or even like going to getting traded over a handful of guys I've either played with or worked out with um, over the past couple of years. So, kinda of just like checking in with them and, and you kinda of, you kinda of hear some stuff here and there. But yeah, I mean you, you look back and it seems like every year there's you know a handful of guys that you see you know kind of bounce around, can't really find their footing um, you know, in the big leagues and then they get an opportunity and, and kind of run with it. And um so yeah, so going into to getting traded it was it was exciting, right? That's the, kind of the first thing that um that pops in your head is like, oh you've seen all these guys, you know, most recently obviously you know, Paul. Um, see guys like that come over, and and you know, within a year or two, it's like completely transcends their career. So uh, it was cool um, getting the news I was traded. It was actually, it's funny. It was about a year ago. I don't even know. I have to look at the the calendar. But a year ago to the day. But uh, it was in the middle of our baby shower, so was, uh, we got a bunch of brewers onesies that had to be returned. Uh, but yeah, getting that phone call, it was it was exciting. Um, you know, any chance you you know, anytime you can get an opportunity to to pitch in the big leagues, you're you're obviously not gonna be mad about it. And um to you know, get traded over to Seattle. Um you said with the reputation, I, I knew going into camp that there was a a good chance that, you know, there was a lot of stuff that we could kinda of work on and, and tweak a few things and uh and hopefully just ride it into a, a good season, which happened.
0: When you guys sat down for the first time and and talked pitching and and talked your bullpens, your mechanics, et cetera, what stood out to you the most?
2: Uh, I think it was just the knowledge, like how much information um, was available, and you know how simple they projected that information. Um, You know, I can't remember how far in the camp it wasn't much more than a week. uh, You know, reporting, that we kind of had like a one-on-one meeting um, with the staff and. Went in there and we were kind of like everything's on the table. It was like, oh, what do you think you do well? What do you think you need to work on? And you know, they they came back and said the same stuff. And it was just eye opening in in the fact that like I had never really gone through that um, previously in my career, even like way back to when I was drafted with the Pirates. Um, it was kind of it was nice to kind of have that affirmation, but like, you know, this you do very well. We need to you know start doing this more. And then you know this stuff, all right, we need to work here. We need to start adding this in. So to to really break it down and be like, all right, you know, here's our strengths and here's what we think, you know, can become a major strength um, going into the season. And then just kind of running with it, um, you know, getting into camp, getting into games and, and just attacking what we talked about and um, just trying to project that over a season, which happened.
0: The thing I think we've heard the most is. The the message they send you guys specifically as relievers, instead of don't do this, it's do this. So instead of the negative, it's more of hey, positive, 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 positive. Was there a pitch for you that you thought specifically took off because they're just like, hey, we believe in you, let it rip?
2: Yeah, for sure. It was definitely the changeup this year, um, against lefties. Uh in in previous years I didn't really face a lot of lefties, which I wasn't very good against lefties. <laughs> it, wasn't, it was uh, more of my fault. But um, but no, like in previous years, I was mostly just sinker slider. Um, and then going into the offseason last year, the goal was to try to learn a cutter um, to kind of get off of that, the sinker slider. The sinker and the slider can be pretty big at times. So we were trying to find something, you know, right in the middle there. Um, I had always thrown change up, uh, even from back in my college starter days, like I, I threw a change up. It was part of the repertoire. But, um, you know, coming up, even in Pittsburgh, and and uh, you know I was with the Rangers for a year. Who didn't really throw a ton of it. And even when I got you know called up to the big leagues with with Milwaukee, didn't I, I, maybe I threw five of them, if that. Like I probably could count on one hand how many times I threw it. So uh, so that was kind of eye opening. You know, in, in the meeting, you know, Trent Blank is just like, "Why don't you throw your changeup anymore?" And I was like, "No one's ever really said it's good." <laughs> so he was like, "No, like let's let's you know I think it can be a weapon against lefties." Um, So we kind of just ran with it. Uh, I think it also helped the fact that having the cutter against lefties to kind of run something in and and, um, get guys off the sinker and the slider. And then, you know, being able to throw the change up, uh, you know, pretty significantly and pretty often um, definitely helped.
1: When did you start to lean into that sinker slider duo? Like what point? Uh, Yeah.
2: I have always thrown a sinker. I, I hadn't thrown a slider until, I guess it was twenty nineteen. Um, I after my second surgery, uh, I was like, oh, like I kind of just want to scrap the four seam. My four seam was just a very bad two seam anyway. So I was like, why don't we just focus on this on the sinker two seam here um, and kind of see what happens? And then adding in the slider, it was kind of twenty nineteen. It was it was pretty bad to say the least. Uh, it was good enough to get some weak contact and then the occasional strikeout. Um, but it wasn't good enough to be like a really power pitch. Um, so actually it was more so during COVID going, you know, COVID shut down, kind of coming back home. And, uh, I've been working with the same pitching guy for since 2019, 2020. Um, and we were like, all right, let's try to, you know, learn a sweeper here. And it's funny. I I tell Brash all the time. I I like had randomly found a video of Brash talking about his slider group and like what his thought was with the slider. This was, like I said back in 2020, um, it was one of his prospect videos. So I cut it a little bit to learn in the, the grip, but, uh, but yeah, so it was like, all right, let's kind of dissect this. And, you know, obviously during COVID there was not much going on. So, uh, I built a mound in the backyard and got a high school catcher that lives in the, in the neighborhood. And we were throwing bullpens, uh, to him, me and a couple of buddies. And yeah, we kind of just broke it down. It's was like, all right, let's you know, try to make this as big as possible and kind of just see what happens. And, uh, Something all of a sudden just clicked, um, and I was able to to really make that a weapon. It, it went from being something that was very average, more like a bullet slider, to something that you know was like a sweeper, and I could get a lot of weak contact and, and swing and miss with it.
0: When you first came to Seattle, people loved throwing the Paul Seawald comp out there. When you <laughs> got there, were you and Paul like putting your heads together, and you trying to learn from him from the success he had had in this bullpen, But not only for the similar story of. Mariner see something in you, let's stick you in the bullpen, make your stuff play up and get the best version of you possible. But you two both have a very unique arm slot when it comes to to throwing a baseball. So how much did you learn from from Paul in the four months you guys shared a bullpen together? Yeah,
2: no, I like Paul was the best, right? Like I miss Paul. I think we all miss Paul. Um he was able to to kind of, you know, bring us under his wing a little bit and um and kind of show us the ropes and and like you said, he he transcended his career to uh to what it is now. And obviously different a little bit different repertoire. A little he's more you know a four team slider. Um, you know, I got the sinker, but like you said, he kinda of lower slots, he kinda of has that, that upshoot ability. Um but no, I think more so for me it was just kind of picking his brain. I was kinda of throwing it in the fire when I called up last year. Um so kind of just, you know, looking at him from afar and watching how he went about his day. You know, he gets the field. He would go do his treatment if he needed it. He would get in the weight room, do all of his mobility stuff, and um, so I've you know tried to kind of just follow that lead. I think I don't think he uh, he knew, but I was kind of just like following around a little bit <laughs> to, to see what uh, see what he did to, to be successful. So I think more so, obviously, there was a lot of great conversations, but just kind of seeing him day in day out, you know, going to work and and, uh, and what he did to be prepared to, to pitch at the back end of the end of the game. Um, it was instrumental for all of us. Um, yeah, you see how dominant he's been over the past couple of years. Uh, you try to just see that and, and uh, try to add that to your routine as much as possible.
1: Okay, you mentioned Brash a minute ago, and I want to circle back to something. Even as a big league reliever, like when you got to the Mariners, the first time you ever saw him throw that slider up close—is it mesmerizing? Even as like in person as it is on TV. Oh yeah, hundred um,
2: percent. It's a, it's just like you just laugh. Because it's like, how do people hit this? They're like, you know what I mean. Like any of his stuff is any pitch that he throws. It's like, how do guys even get come close to hitting this? And not not many people do. But like when he does get hit, it's like, hey, yeah, tip your hat. Sometimes you know what I mean. Like guy put a good swing on a good pitch. But yeah, when I saw him throw for the first time, I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> I mean, this is unbelievable. And I, I would joke through uh, with him throughout the year. He'd be like, oh, I want to start throwing a change up, or I want to do this or do that. I'm like, you don't need to do anything else like just you have the right stuff you're good like just keep throwing your slider more keep throwing your fastball more like you're you'll be all right
1: <laughs> i mean i think the what encapsulates all that i guess you weren't quite on the big league roster yet but i just think about that opening night that Patty had against jay ram against jose ramirez where he made him just fall on the seat of his yep. slider like if that just doesn't encapsulate everything about matt Brash, i don't know what does
2: yeah, exactly. You know, I think I've seen that video like a hundred times even this off season. Like it's always just being retweeted or on on uh pitching ninja or something. I just watch it and just laugh. It's like this is this is absurd.
0: <laughs> Do you have a gifable strikeout that you remember in your career? Did you ever nutmeg anybody?
2: Uh, first strikeout in the big leagues. Um yeah. I, and of course now I'm now I'm gonna fumble who it was. Uh I believe it was Willie Castro with the Tigers back foot slider literally off of his like swinging off his foot and bounced into the, the batter's box or the other batter's box. So yeah, so first one, uh, uh, it was pretty easy. <laughs> All
1: right. I'm hoping you can do us a favor here. Can you describe your cutter for us? Because most cutters you'll see move in on a hitter. Yours moves away. Cause you throw it a lot to lefties. Like how would you describe that cutter of yours? Uh- yeah, it's like it's weird, right?
2: Um, especially, my goal is to always have it kind of like slightly run in on on hitters on lefties. Um, it's more so just like a four seam. It has the has the spin of a cutter, but at times it just kind of stays plain and just like is. I would I, want, I hate to say straight, but like it does have that like just effect that it's either running a little bit of a, away or a little bit cut. Um, there was times last year where I think I would try to manipulate it a little too much and it would just back up, um, even throwing it this off season, just trying to get back to that, like, let's have it move one to three inches into a lefty. Um, but I think last year for me, it was more so just trying to, uh, to just have something up in the zone um, and being able to, to do that and have it, you know, kind of up up and away to righties, up and into lefties. And if I'm going to miss, it's going to be up, um, you know, instead of trying to, to throw it, you know, anywhere else. And then being able to, to throw the sinker off of that, and then obviously throwing the changeup against lefties too. Um, this kind of gives everybody a different look. Um, you know, I can be very like down in the zone with, you know, the sinker slider, even the changeups that way. So being able to kind of just run one up there, for me, it was more so when I learned it, it was more so just, Let's just have something that can show effect up in the zone saying, oh, I can I can get it up there um, and kind of get guys off of the stuff in the bottom of the zone. And it's kind of transitioned to now, like, you know, I can throw it up there and get some swings and misses and get some weak contact um, and kind of use that to my advantage. It's kind of funny in spring training last year after one of my games, uh, Skip came up in the dugout. He was like, hey, like, you know, the cutter looks great. I don't see you throwing a ton of cutters this year. I think you're going to get a lot of strikeouts on like front hip uh front hip sinkers. And I was like, yeah, I totally agree. And then it kind of just got a mind of its own and and uh and was able to throw it, you know, pretty high percentage for for a cutter. Um like I said I hadn't thrown a ton a, a lot to lefty, and not have a big sample size against lefty. So, um just being able to do that and, and get him off the sinker was kind of the main goal. And it's kind of transitioned to, to a little more.
0: Justin, I want to compare and contrast a couple of seasons you've had in your career. There's some quotes out there of your indie Ball 2017 season. And the quote that stuck out to me is, after your time in the Pirates organization in 2017, you went to go pitch in indie Ball that season. And you said that's the most fun, that to that point, the most fun you'd ever had playing baseball. Does this past season top that eventually, uh, finally, in your sense?
2: Yeah, no, yeah, a hundred percent. I think that um, I think every season after that season has has kind of topped it uh, in some some different way. Um, yeah, it was just like a weird point in my career getting drafted. Obviously, that was a goal. You know, get drafted, get play pro ball. Didn't really know. You know, growing up, I I didn't think I would ever get to play, let alone in college or in college, let alone in professional baseball. Um, it was all, always a goal. You know, especially after being a bad boy, just uh, being around those guys, seeing the lifestyle and, and see how guys uh, handled that. So being able to, you know, play a, a handful of years with the Pirates, you know, after that getting released, I was kind of over baseball. I, I'd tell people, I was like, yeah, I was I was done. I was ready to move on. I was kind of just over one. I was over being hurt. Uh, I had two Tommy Johns up to that point. So I was kind of just done with the rehab stuff. And then, you know, just, didn't really, unfortunately didn't get an opportunity after surgery, after rehab for almost, almost two years, um, at least just to go out there and, and, you know, sink or swim. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, go to Indie ball and didn't really want to go to Indie ball. Uh, I never thought my, my career would, it would take me to Indie ball, but, I got a phone call from actually one of the managers, my league coaches now, uh, we were drafted together, Mike Francesa. Um, so he called me. We—he was the first person I met in pro ball, and uh, he called me after after I got released and was like, "Hey, we're looking for pitching. If he wants to keep playing," um, and he gave my number to the manager, and I got his number, and I was like, "I hope he doesn't call," because <laughs> uh, I was just kind of over at that point. And uh, he ended up calling. We had a great conversation, and, and kind of uh, you know led me into indie ball. Um, yeah, just from like day one, it was like the only goal in indie ball was to win. So going into that, it was like, uh, obviously there's some development. There's a big range of guys in indie ball. There's a lot of guys that came just out of college that haven't played any professional baseball. And then on the flip side, we had a couple guys that played in the big league. So it was like anywhere in between. Um, And it was kind of like, if you want to try and get better and get out of indie ball, you could do that. If you didn't, you just wanted to hang out and, and play like that was okay too. But the goal was just to go out and win every night. And, uh, and so that mindset was very relaxing and and, kind of, and very fun, especially once we got rolling our team, we, we joked that like, we were just a bunch of misfits and, uh, we just had fun playing baseball and we, we'd go out and, and have a good game, you know, hang out after the game and, and wake up and do it. again. So, yeah, so it kind of just opened my eyes to you know, going back to playing the game for fun. And that's why, you know, you start playing the game is just to have fun with your buddies. So yeah, after that season had a good year and I tell everybody that I was like I was I was expecting to play one year of Indie ball and kind of just you know ride off into the sunset, I guess go get a real job and and uh after rehabbing, you know, all that time, I was like, Oh, I just had a great year. Why not try to throw for teams, see what happens? Threw for a few teams that off season, nothing really materialized, went back to start the year in Indie Ball and then got picked up by the Rangers halfway through. Um yeah, I've kind of just had that mindset every year now. It's like, well, this is the last year playing. Like, we us go have some fun. And uh, and it's kind of uh, worked out up to this point.
1: So you did mention that you really enjoyed playing in Indy Bowl. I read that, that you really enjoyed your time there once you got into it. Was it the group of guys you were playing with, or was there was there more to it?
2: No, it definitely it was a group of guys. Um, it was cool, and it was also very close to where I grew up in, in Binghamton. So we were only maybe two hours hour and a half two hours so my thought process going to play was uh play one season kind of close to home have some family come down and then kind of just that's it for me type thing and uh but yeah once i kind of you know dove into it and and was there with with a group of guys like i said you have such a wide range of guys college guys guys that play in the big leagues um a former teammate of mine you know mike so mike francoso uh with the pirates so it was like that familiarity with, with a couple of guys and then also being tied in, being healthy for, for the full year was, uh, was big. Didn't really have to to rehab, which was nice. So, um, yeah, it was just that group of guys, guys that I still talk to to this day. Um, I see Mike, you know, obviously during the season and stuff like that, um, in spring training and, uh, you know, just like catching up with those guys and everybody's kind of gone their separate ways, but, um, being able to have that camaraderie kind of right from the get go and, like i said it it it's, it was also a lot better because we were we were winning so I think that this the culmination of a good group of guys uh, you know playing good baseball uh made it for a lot of fun
1: lifestyle wise are there any big differences between indie ball and minor league ball uh yeah i mean we
2: <clears throat> we definitely like from like a housing standpoint like we had uh, host families my first year we we didn't, I didn't have a host family. We lived on like a college campus in the dorms. Um, so it was a couple guys, like three guys to a, a dorm setup, kind of like a suite setup. And then um, my second year, we went back. I had a host family for the first half. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, you don't get paid a ton of money. You, you're kind of just playing the game for, for the love of the game more than anything. Um, you, know, play, you know, for the exposure. Uh, it was a cool league for me too, because like I said, it was close to home uh, in New York. There was three teams in New York, New Jersey, and then three teams up in Canada. So your road trips you kinda knew where you were going in Canada. Uh you kinda got to explore different places. But I think overall it's, it's very similar um in different aspects. Uh, you know, obviously we still had a, a bus going to Canada, but the you know, the New York New Jersey games were all like meeting trips. So, you know, we'd throw a couple guys in the car and, and you'd call from for once of the game and then you'd talk back after. So that was a little bit different. <laughs>
0: Justin, could you relive the breakthrough moment you had in 2019? You've talked about it on a couple of podcasts before, but in case some of our listeners haven't heard how <laughs> you kind of got back in front of the eyes of the Rangers and then eventually the Brewers and eventually the Mariners as well with uh, a bullpen against a bunch of Ivy Leaguers who just so happened to, to crash your workout on a given Friday in 2019. Could you uh, go back through that for us?
2: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah. So it was, you know, the off season between 18 and 19, uh, I was a minor league free agent again. So I kind of didn't have a great year in 2018. So I knew I wasn't really going to re-sign with the Rangers. Um, I was just hoping I could get a couple workouts and kind of see what happens to maybe sign on the team. If not, I think I probably would have retired. Um, the time it was Tim Ponto, we were working out at the gym and, um, like I mentioned earlier, I worked with the same pitching guy for three years, George Zirkel. So it was the three of us, we would show up to the gym, we would turn on like three lights in the entire place. So there was just like a, a dungeon in there. And, um, we would play catch every day and we'd work out, and throw bullpens. Our bullpen schedule is usually Tuesdays, Fridays. Um, and this just happened to be a Friday. And after this was after, this was, I would say almost a month after every, like all the other pro guys had left for spring training. So it was just three of us going in and uh just happened to be um Harvard was there playing University of Penn that weekend. They were in town and game got rained out, so they were using the facility just kind of as a indoor workout type thing. And um George, the pitching guy, he was like went up to the head coach was like, Hey, you have any guys that maybe want at bats? Like we have two two pro guys that are looking to to throw in front of teams they haven't faced hitters recently um, we're just trying to get them you know a couple hitters and thankfully that guy obliged and uh, threw a couple guys in there and we we did some lives and it was a uh, pretty eye-opening because i had thrown relatively hard in my career um you know occasionally getting up 95 96 97 um for some reason everything clicked kind of this day and go out there first i guess quote unquote first inning of this live and i was like 97 to 100 uh and then I'd go out there for a second and kind of same thing and, and touching 100 on on the on the gun so it was kind of a weird like transition i was like okay like i thought nothing was going to happen and now like we put up put together this compilation video and, and kind of threw it up on uh on twitter and next thing you know it was retweeted you know however many times i'd have to look at I have to go back and see what the numbers are now, but you know, retweeted and liked and shared. And this was kind of right when the whole like pitching ninja, um, I forget the other account. There was another account, but it was right around the time that those uh, those accounts were coming up. So it was like, oh, you tag them, and they retweet it. And you're just trying to get get eyes on the video, essentially. And uh, it's funny uh, there's I've, I've now heard like the other side of the story. Like I obviously lived that side of. of Hearing from the Brewers and being like, okay, like we're ready to move forward. Um, like I said, that, that video, that uh, live BP happened on a Friday. We posted it that night. By Saturday the afternoon, the Brewers called me. Was like, "Hey, we're ready to make a move." Um, and then I was on a flight Monday morning out to Arizona. So it was. That thing happened very quickly. And, and it's funny now, like I've, I've heard the other side of it um, from actually Pat Murphy, the now manager of, of uh, Milwaukee. He one spring two thousand twenty one he get into camp got there like a week early and run the fields just playing catcher one day and he he walks by and starts calling me chips I'm like why the heck is he calling me chips and he's like oh chips 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 this chips that and I'm like what's the story behind the chips and after a couple of days finally, like I think it was uh, Brandon Woodruff was like hey why are you calling Topa chips and he's like all right like we signed Topa off of this Twitter video this you like little compilation video. And I guess this his story is that uh, Matt Arnold, the GM for the Brewers, um, was just flipping through Twitter one night, like laying in bed eating a bag of chips, and came across the video, and then like forwarded it to somebody in pro scouting, and the next thing you know, it signed like a couple days later. So it's called me <laughs> chips because of that. So it's cool. It's cool now to like like I said, I had seeing like or knowing both sides of the story. Like you know that was just happened to be scrolling through twitter seeing a video and then obviously on the other side i was going into the facility for just another friday workout and just turned into something something more
1: have you ever asked matt arnold about the story or just murphy
2: no it's it's funny so that spring that was my first big league camp um i debuted in 2020 during covid and then so that was my first big league camp and they called me up to the front in front of everybody. Uh, I kind of did a little Q and A type thing, and, and uh, counts asked me. He's like, "Hey, what's the story?" So I was like, oh, "Murph tells it better," and uh, that it got approval from from Matt. So I've never personally asked him, but uh, in that in that little Q and A, he said that sounded about pretty pretty similar to, to the actual story.
0: <laughs> I'm just have you ever I'm gotten just... around to uh, to thanking Rob, pitching ninja for for the retweet and, and the exposure.
2: I have like a little bit. I've never like talked to him in person. Um, just kind of like through different retweets. It, it, we talked about that. You know that strikeout, my first strikeout there, the one that hit off of Willie Catcher's foot. Uh, I think he posted the video, and kind of a little bit of the background of the story. I like, got retweeted one of his things. I got signed, and now the culmination of, of getting uh, to the big leagues. So. Uh, I think just exchanged a couple of tweets there, but um, it would be cool to, to catch up eventually and, and, uh, and talk to him.
1: I'm just picturing Arnold like sitting in bed, like you said, like actually eating chips, scrolling on Twitter, like the rest of the world. <laughs> and then a video pops across his feed, and all of a sudden his eyes like pop open. It's like, well, this guy has pretty good stuff. I better stop what I'm doing. I better send this to somebody before somebody else grabs them. So that's yeah, was it,
2: it was cool. It, and I, I had also thrown for. I had thrown for a couple of teams earlier in that off season. Um, and the Brewers were one of them. They had sent out, uh, one of their, I uh, don't I guess local. Frost, I don't know if you were a checker or, or area scouts. Um, this would come see me thrown. So there was a little bit of uh, of a background there. I had talked to a couple of people in the uh, front office. Nothing really progressed at the time. It was like, okay, like we have stuff like he was updated. So I was emailing them. I would say maybe weekly or bi-weekly with different, you know, Trackman, Soto, met, uh metrics, stuff like that, and kind of where I'm at from a volume standpoint. And so there was a little bit of communication, but then uh, when that video went out, I actually put it on Twitter first and then I didn't send it to them right away. Uh, I think I maybe sent it the next morning or something like that. And that's when they're like, okay, yeah, we're ready to, to move forward now. So it happened pretty
1: quick. Justin, if we had five short wrap-up questions for you as we start to conclude this thing. We asked a bunch of the big leaguers these same ones just to try to let fans get to know you guys a little bit better. First one I've got for you is your go-to pregame and postgame meal is Walt. Well. Ooh, I don't really have... If you asked me this during Indie
2: Ball, it was uh, before every start I would have a like a, a turkey sub. It was like turkey, lettuce, tomato, man. cheese. Oh, like the same thing. I don't know. I, I guess I had a good year so I was like, I will keep it rolling. Now it's kind of just whatever we got in the clubhouse. Um, I would say there's a couple staples, uh, and a lot of PB and J's. Like it's a big minor league thing, but it's, it's kind of in your blood. I think everybody that's played in the minor leagues for a long time, it's like we joke we call it like minor league steak, the peanut butter and jelly. So uh, maybe that. Um, sometimes you yeah, know we got some sushi in there, so I'll pop uh, a couple pieces of sushi. But um, after the game. Same thing. I'm kind of wide open. I, I do eat a lot of Chipotle, so I would say maybe Chipotle.
1: <laughs> are you and Bryce Miller ever putting orders together for Chipotle?
2: No, no. We got to get Bryce like a sponsorship or something, because every day of the season, you are walking with Chipotle. Yeah. It's like,
1: <laughs> you, can, you can only eat it so much. Like, I love Chipotle. Don't get me wrong. I can always have it a couple times a week. <laughs> that's the that's the urban legend we seem to hear is, is we hear every single day. And I think to myself, like, even as a big leader, that feels like a lot of money, especially when there's food at the clubhouse or whatever. So Yeah,
2: yeah he would walk in with uh, his Chipotle bag more often than not,
0: I think. <laughs> Justin, if it makes you feel any better, I think the the two primary options you just named minus the sushi you just named Lyle's diet for the most part. So
2: um, <laughs> there's nothing uh, wrong with that.
1: <laughs> I've eaten a PB and J similar to Bryce Miller's Chipotle diet probably every day of my life, and and now that I hear this from you guys, it's like, well, I'm just trying to eat like a big leaguer. So yeah, yeah,
2: it's perfect. Yeah, good transition.
0: <laughs> Second question, Justin, is your three favorite TV shows ever? It's
2: oh, a good one. Uh- I was big into Entourage and Breaking Bad, kind of at the same time. It's funny, with Breaking Bad, I had never watched it when, it when it was like actually being aired. Uh, and then I was in Instructs with the Pirates, and a bunch of my buddies were like, oh, it's the finale, the series finale of Breaking Bad. And I was like, I've never heard of the show. Whatever. Just, let's just watch it. Whatever. So I actually watched the season finale episode before I watched any other episode. So like, I watched that, and I knew how it ended, and I was like, "Oh, I should go back and watch the whole thing." So then I like started the next season, <laughs> all the episodes. Um, so yeah, definitely those two. Um, me and my wife are big like Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, Chicago Med people. So we're always uh, you know touch up on that. I think we've thought, for the most part. There's a new season coming out soon. Right. A little plug to Chicago series, but yes, yeah, so, so I'd say those those three Chicago PD more than the other two. Um our dog is actually named Hank after the main character in, in Chicago PD. So, so yeah, definitely uh definitely a little connection there. But yeah, those those three are the big ones.
0: I did something pretty similar to what you did with breaking bad with game of thrones i didn't watch the finale first but i knew the i think it was the final episodes of season seven were coming up i'm like oh shit i gotta i gotta catch up
1: <laughs> yeah and i, I think <laughs> yeah. i managed
0: to, to binge through all of it and catch up by the time by the time the finale aired so that was uh, Just,
1: it's a good way to go
2: go by pretty quick yeah yeah it gives rare. you some
0: motivation to keep going
2: exactly exactly
1: all right. Third question: Best and worst baseball road trip you've ever been on, and this can include the minor leagues and indie ball.
2: Uh, best road trip. Can I just say any big league road trip because they're sure. all awesome? <laughs> um, yeah, obviously. Like first, first big league road trip was was cool. Just you know, getting that whole experience. Obviously, it was during COVID, so it was a little different than uh, than how it is now. Guys can get up and mingle and play cards and stuff like that. Where during COVID, it was kind of like all right, you're sitting in your seat and. But you also walk on, on the plane and they got all the snacks and the food that you can think of. So you're never going hungry. Um, yeah, I'll just say any big league trip um, is pretty cool. I think if I had to pick a specific one, going back to New York this year, um, pitching in City Field, being at Yankee Stadium for the first time, um, had a bunch of family and friends there. So being back in the city, uh, not too far from where we went to college, uh, That's pretty special. Uh, worst one. We had one in 2014 when we were in the South Atlantic League. Uh, I played for West Virginia, uh, West Virginia Power. This was back when it was the Pilots and not uh, the Mariners. Um, we had one. I'm trying to remember the exact. It was like something along the lines of we, it was after the All-Star break, we went from West Virginia down to Rome, Georgia, then Rome back to West Virginia for one or two series and then up to uh, Lakewood, New Jersey. So it was like the top and bottom of the league. We're in Jersey, you know, at the end of one week. We were in Georgia, you know, at the end of the previous week. So was, that was probably the worst. You just get stuck on a bus and you can't really get comfortable. You're trying to, to find ways to get comfortable and grab some sleep.
0: Okay, Justin. So my next question, I think we already know the answer to this question. It's what's your favorite baseball player of all time? So I'm going to change it up on you. Who's your second favorite baseball player of all time?
2: Yeah, obviously, first one definitely Derek Jeter. Um, second, oh man, I'm gonna if I I'll, I'll pick a pitcher, I guess. Um, I'll go with. I really have to like go through the Rolodex here. I don't have like an easy one right off the bat. I really like watching Roger Clemens when you know it's kind of his heyday. Uh, just power pitcher, um, you know, he kind of had that that boy mentality. Like, I just remember the you know, the Yankee series when the whole Piazza stuff was going on. So um, growing up a Yankee fan, it was kind of, you know, the rocket was on the mound. He kind of tuned in all the time. Um, and I would say two also kind of like a one A or one uh, is Jeter, you know, two A, two B with rocket and uh, probably Mariano Rivera. Just now that as a reliever, it's, it's uh, he was somebody that like, I was looking at a lot of cutter videos, <laughs> trying to get maybe one percent of uh, information from his uh, his cutter. But so just like seeing how dominant he was, it was like I still get chills thinking about like going to the Yankee Stadium as a kid and hearing you know uh, Enter Sandman for the first time at Yankee Stadium as as a uh, as a fan and just like wow like this game is pretty much over. Very um, similar, obviously, with, with Trevor Hoffman um with the Hells bells, but. Yeah, so I'd say uh, say Roger Clemens and uh, Mariano Rivera.
1: Those are two good ones. One Hall of Famer and one for my money should be Hall of Famer.
2: So right, right. no, for sure.
1: Last one for you. You said that (laughs) you almost got to a point where you ended you ended up quitting baseball. So if you weren't playing baseball, what do you think you'd be doing?
2: Uh, probably something. I think my my answer a couple years ago would have been a little different. Uh, I went to school. For accounting and finance, so is probably something in that field in in uh, economics uh, or finance. Um, I think now I would say something in real estate. Uh, we had bought our house in the off season of twenty eighteen and did like me and my father, my dad, like we all kind of did a lot of work to uh, to you know kind of update things. So I, I kind of fell in love with that kind of things. Uh, you know, it's probably so probably something like flipping houses or renovating houses and and, uh, doing something in real estate.
1: That's a good one. Well, Justin, this has been awesome. We appreciate big time you taking all the time to sit down and talk with us. This has been a blast, and we certainly hope to do it again soon.
2: No, definitely. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Before we wrap up the show, a word from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're just a human who lives in this world is going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions... BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. That's betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. Clicking that link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marine layer pod. I really enjoyed that conversation with Justin Toba, and I'll tell you why. I never got to meet Justin when I was at the field. I got one weekend at the field this past year in 2023. Didn't get to talk to Justin Topa. You'd gotten to talk to Justin a couple of times, gotten the connection. I know he'd seen our, some of our stuff online, but I hadn't really gotten to talk or meet with him. And, and the thing you... Emphasized to me the most. It's and we mean this in the best way possible. Talking about Justin Topa is, he's just a normal dude, just having a normal conversation with someone who also happens to throw ninety nine miles an hour. Now, Lyle and myself and Justin, two different branches of DNA of here human, because he can throw hard and we can't. But everything else, I mean, it sounded completely normal, and I really enjoyed that conversation and the fact that he is allowed to be very nerdy about his card collection, even at 32. I think that's awesome.
1: And that's what we kind of discovered with this talk with him is, look, all the guys we've talked to on the field, on the podcast, they've all been great. And we talk about that all the time. And all of them have very interesting stories. But when we say, yeah, he's a very normal dude, like he's a big football fan. He has a sports card collection. He like like all this stuff. He was he's a big Eagles fan. So he was talking about Getting ready for the playoff game and all that stuff. Yeah, so he was he was awesome, and he just happened to also be really smart. Worked his tail off to get to the big leagues. Throws a lot of really good pitches, but yeah. Oh, and I should I should add, he eats a lot of PB and J's. Normal dude. Yeah, I could see you going like, Oh, I was I was I couldn't quite fist pump on screen, but I was fist pumping in my own head (laughs) because as somebody who has that as like the base of their diet. Uh, the music to my ears that big leaguers are sitting in that clubhouse eating peanut butter and jelly. We'd love to see it. Yeah. It's. And you said too, it's like he kind of epitomizes don't give up on your dreams, right? You're talking about a guy that had two Tommy Johns. He was an in indie ball. He was working his way through the minors. He gets into his thirties. And now here in his early thirties, he's thriving in the big leagues. One of the best arms in the league this year out of the bullpen.
0: It could have been very e- easy to give up, and and I think that's a message to, to most people that all the successful things in your life don't always happen in your 20s. For a lot of athletes, especially Major League Baseball and especially the social media world, we can compare and contrast everything everyone else does to ourselves. You can go see that there are 21-year-olds who blow the socks off of everyone in Major League Baseball like Julio Rodriguez But the fact is that that's the exception and not really the norm and that everyone, if they're talented enough and hardworking enough, can get to where they want to. It just might not always happen at the same time as everyone else does. For Justin Topa, he might have to reach age 30 to live out his dream of playing professional baseball at the highest level in MLB. For someone like Julio Rodriguez, things come pretty easy to Julio so he can make it at age 20. Everyone's different. And that's okay. And now Justin Topa is thriving in the big leagues at 32. And we're so happy for him.
1: And you know, they're going to rely on him again here in 2024 and pretty heavily too. It's that basically same bullpen group that's running it back as they should. It was one of the best bullpens in the league. And those back end three, Topa, Brash, Munoz, they're going to rely on those guys a lot in 24. So we're really happy Justin came on the pod. He was awesome to talk to. And we are wishing him nothing but success here in 2024 and moving forward too. So with that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full-form pod, you can can do so wherever you get your audio podcasts. Make sure to download, subscribe, or follow the show, I should say, and leave us a five-star review. Those downloads and reviews help out a ton. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, where our full video podcast is. And check us out on social media, on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube Shorts, at MarineLayerPod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.